Good evening, Patriots. And it's Friday, July 8th in the year 2022. East Coast, you've now hit Saturday. And Saturday means cutting grass for me tomorrow. So that's exciting. Hey, Patriots, before we begin tonight, make sure you're doing everything you can to take care of your wealth. Birch Gold has got you covered. Patriots, we have been witnessing the economy slowly go through a death spiral. And the Fed has boxed itself in. The economy is in dire straits, and thanks to a loose money policy, there's no end in sight. Apparently, you just can't spend trillions every year without repercussions. And now, in an attempt to play catch-up, the Fed is raising rates and plans to do it seven more times this year. We're already starting to see the ripple effects in the housing market as people's buying power diminishes. What are you doing to protect your money? Have you considered what could happen if the stock market continues to fall or worse, crashes? Don't wait until that happens. Take some of your profits from the stock market now and solidify them with gold from Birch Gold. Throughout history, gold has maintained its value better than any other investment in the world. So text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to the number 989898. Again, BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to the number 989898 for a free zero-obligation info kit on holding gold in a tax-sheltered retirement account. Again, text BARDS to 989898 and secure the gains from the hard-earned capital that you have. Join the thousands of Happy Birch customers, the countless five-star reviews, and an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Birch Gold. They're professionals. They're some of the best in the market. So again, text BARDS at 989898 to protect your future with gold. You know, the one question that I just keep asking, it's not just one, there's several, but they're questions I think we all should be asking. And one that really has me puzzled. Why are there so many jobs going unfilled? Where's all the labor? And I know that we get the standard answer, which is, oh, they're lazy. They don't want to work. Well, then where's the money coming from? Because we're long past the point of of the bonuses for being part of the COVID scam. And if you kind of look around these places, it's like the world is getting quieter these days. And I can't explain it, but it is. It's very odd to me. Just There's a lot of anomalies like that that I think we should be asking questions about. The other one I've been asking is, since there's 700,000 deaths to COVID, and there's 30 million people that have been vaxxed, damaged. I would simply say that if we took 1% of that, and so 10%, I just got to do this real quick in my head because I didn't do it. But, so that's roughly about 300,000 people. That's a lot of voices on social media that aren't there. And I'd be shocked if these people weren't posting all the time. So, again, we're, we're in a very strange place. And I, I also can say that even on social media, things are quieting down in a good way, but also in a weird way because in the midst of a lot of things quieting down, we have a lot of stupid being put up there, you know, people talking about it's coming, it's happening. I talked about that in the last hour. But it's, very, it's a very odd time, and I really can't put my finger on it. But I do want to have you listen to this. Remember, you know, the one thing we have to keep in mind is our freedom is our choice. 
And that is up to us to decide what we want for our future and who we want to control us. This is a good piece. It comes from the UK. Do you see what's going on behind me? We have an old-timer car race thing, which happens here every year. It's supposed to happen here every year, but here's the thing, guys. In case you forgot, for the last two years, we have had nothing. We have had nothing that makes life worth living. It was all stripped away from us. Singing, dancing, music, coming together, nature, the outdoors, celebration, connection, right? And isn't it interesting how nobody is afraid? No one is afraid now. I want you to remember this. All fear is an illusion. It is instilled in you by the narratives that you pay attention to and you allow to become your reality. Do not forget what has happened here, guys, because this is not the end. This is not the end, and they will continue to bring more shit, more fear, so they can take away more and more of your freedom. But you must remember, you are born free. You are the one that gives away your freedom willingly, just like all these people did, willingly. So you can willingly also keep your freedom and say no, say no, we're not going to have that happen to us ever. I think that's an easy point to say, and I think for those of us that walk that path, it's a way of life. But it's amazing how quickly people are dragged back into the old ways, just the minute that they can get a touch and a sniff of their old obsessions. We're at a real critical crossroads right now. And I do believe there is a, there, this is the threshing floor. And I think that the illusions of normalcy are part of this trap. We have to make changes now. If we're going to move forward in a positive direction, there has to be some legitimate, legitimate changes in what we do. And that, from what I talk about, from what I believe all we're here for, is that has to begin by putting God back at the center of our life. But it doesn't mean putting God back at the center of our life and then trying to go back and being normal. We have to reflect back on that other world and realize how abnormal it was, how outside of normal it was, and just not go back there. Easier said than done, especially when you start to get the lures of going back to the normalcy that feels good. But the world is not built on feelings. The world is literally built on faith and knowledge. And when we strip away the feelings, we start to get to the clarity of thought. So, you know, speaking of giving away your freedom, the founder of BLM Memphis just got sentenced to six years in prison for illegally voting. (laughs) Sorry, but that sounds funny to me. And here's another one that's strange. There's a Spanish obelisk monument that was just hit by lightning. Now, this is a weird one. This just came up on General McInery's site, and it was a, it was a repost from Reddit, Reddit. Spanish colonial obelisk in vegan, vegan, V-I-G-A-N, vegan city was struck by lightning. And what is written underneath it, it's just quite interesting commentary. In the book of Exodus, God destroys all of the pagan Egyptian idols as he frees the Jews from Egypt. This symbolic act followed the miraculous ten plagues and demonstrated God's sole mastery 
of the earth and everything on it. This pattern in history seems to be occurring again as God destroyed the satanic Georgia Guidestones yesterday and now blasts an obelisk with lightning. We are reliving the exodus and it is biblical. God wins. I'm I'm snickering a little bit because I've been saying for about three to four years that we are in an exodus. And we are. And However, whether you want to accept that as a biblical moment, as like an exodus 2.0 or whether just a metaphor, that's fine. But we're leaving a matrix, a bubble world, where everything around us was an illusion. And as we continue to walk through that illusion and walk out of that illusion, we begin to see clearly. There is a, a song. I just, I'm going to play just a little bit of it here. And I'll kind of commentate as it plays because I, I want to explain it. So hang on a second. I think we know this song. We didn't start the fire. That song. Listen to these names. All those people, and the song does this, and I can't remember if that's the original or if this is a redo, but the point is the video is pretty profound. And I'll make sure and put it up in Bard's family room. And, I, and you should take a watch in the on the Telegram channel. And you should take a watch of this because this is an older video. But what I find so amazing about this video is that it is 100% accurate. And they're all, everybody he's listing is part of the Illuminati and, and this doing this hand sign they do. It's crazy. So basically, my point is that we have been being played for our whole life in ways that we can't even fathom. And it is such a dark play that we've been involved in where they are literally manipulating every perception of thought that we have. And with that, we've shaped an entire relationship in our life with God and with our, and with everything we do that until we've started to pull away and re-anchor ourselves in that relationship with Jesus, we have had essentially a false narrative, a false relationship in many ways with God. That's really something to think about. And it's not, it was not as it was intended by any means, but it's what has become. And so really what we have on us right now is a very important responsibility to reclaim the gifts and the opportunities that God gave us. And that means not following in suit with where we were before and the idols and the idol idolatry traps. Here's another piece I want to play tonight. This is really profound. And however they edited this piece, they seem to, in, they're going through the names. He clips out the first name, and the first name he begins with, obviously, it should be, and you'll hear it later, is Adam. But I want you to listen to this. This is a, this really amazing when it comes together. 
gives, uh, gave birth to Seth. Seth, Enosh. Enosh, Kenan. Kenan, Mahalal. Mahalal, Jared. Jared, Enoch. Enoch, Methuselah. Methuselah, Lamech. And Lamech was the father of Noah. Let's take these names. Ten names. But see, the problem is we need to know what the names mean. And if you have a study Bible or a source, a, a lexicon, what have you, you know that the name Adam means man. As you go through your Bible, when these names are typically first introduced, most of your marginal footnotes will tell you what the name means. Adam means man. Seth means appointed. Enosh means mortal. Kenan means sorrow. Mahalel means the blessed God. Jared means shall come down. Enoch means teaching. Methuselah means his death shall bring. Lamech means the despairing. And the word Noah means rest or comfort. Now, let's read that genealogy as a sentence. Man is appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing comfort. Isn't that wild? Yeah, isn't that wild? It's incredible. That's God's hand. I want you to think about this. That translation, that sentence was near perfect. And it that it comes through the translation into English. Anytime, I don't know if you've done translations. I have of in a couple different languages. And translations are extremely difficult. That's one of the reasons there's so many versions of the Bible out there because people are trying to translate different ways. You have like a contextual translation, you have culturally accurate translations, you have linguistic translations, various forms of translation. And I don't know what version of the Bible he's using. That's kind of irrelevant. It's the point that the translation is it creates a near-perfect sentence. Because translations are imperfect, and yet the only way that can happen in the universal sense of that is God. I, I, we're just, we continue to find our way back to Scripture in such a profound way. And, and I, I really am seeing myself a lot of the separation. I, mean, I just saw something on chat here. I want to read and I just think it's a really observational comment that's relevant for tonight. And it said, I went to a blues concert last night. It was surreal, like being in a dead world that didn't know it had died. Oblivious drunk folks. Just another world. Great guitar, though. Man, I can relate to that in the way this world is functioning right now. It was a great comment. It really can relate to that because it is as this that's happening. We're seeing people just kind of locking back into their empty world. And when you're seeing people just out here drinking and being drunk and whatever, that is, that that's an emptiness. That's a sorrow. That's a the void that you're trying to fill. It's a wound. And the sad part about it is Jesus can fill that wound. I've had a couple of friends in my life that have had drinking problems. One of them I, I just love dearly, and he has conquered it through Jesus. And another one I knew went down a darker path. But the point is that 
the power of the, what Christ can, can heal is profound. In fact, what was really interesting is this, this I mean, he's a brother to me, seriously. And another one of my friends that we met in Afghanistan, and it's an interesting place always I come back to because I have a few amazing friends that we've met in different places. And through thick or thin, we're still friends. And it's, it was bonded in the war zone. Something very unique and special about that that's hard to describe. But this friend that had a bit of a drinking problem would not go to to AA or the others, and that was a lot of stress, but instead worked it through, which took a bit longer, but worked it through Jesus. And in the process he understood what he needed to do. And I, I give him so much credit because that's not an easy path. We spent a lot of time talking in those days and he used the power of Christ to heal himself. And it, like I said, it was not a fast process, but Christ, other than what the stories we hear in the Bible where there's instant healing, the real deep healing like this. And it was, a, there was a lot of deep wounds. He had suffered some very brutal losses in Afghanistan. And those were pains that were very hard to fill. It's hard to describe the pain and you feel when you have to pull your friend out of a vehicle that's been hit by an IED and your friend is completely burned to a crisp and you have to pull them out and put them in a body bag. That leaves some deep pains. And that sort of wound at times of stress and, and things can, can will, re, will re-erupt. And it takes a lot of courage to be able to say, you know what, I'm not just going to go to some AA meeting where we talk about this or that, but instead I'm going to face the wound and I'm not going to be perfect. There's going to be times that through this process I'm still going to drink, but I'm going to face it with Jesus. And let me tell you, that's a hard path to take, and not a lot of people can do it. And, and the reason I bring all this up is it's going to take that type of courage for a lot of people. And unfortunately, we have such a distrust of our church. One, from the propaganda of, that has been circulating for years of indoctrinating this generation and other, and just generations, plural into the corruption of the church. Then we have the layers of reveal that are coming out slowly of how many church people themselves are corrupted in deep sin, like pastors taking the pulpit, being closet gays and married, and then having affairs or worse, having like same-sex affairs or worse, pedophilia, and child abuse in the church. I mean, it's sickening. And so, you know, if God's striking down these monuments, I hope he blasts the church too in many of these places because it needs to be done. It needs to be cleansed. So, but what, where, does it, where do people go when they're now discovering that everything that they've believed in is wrong. And this is 
what I was discussing from a spiritual side, this is what I was discussing in the previous show, which is we've got to keep a level head. We do. And we can't be swept into these idolatries of promises of humankind and it's institutions of men that are offering them. And that's why I've, you know, I've brought up in the previous show, we talked a lot about the, the war between the elites in the bubble world. The world that they control, this bubble narrative that we're breaking out of, let them fight it. Our past stays true to God. I don't care what they do. So you crack open a portal. So you, have, you find dark matter. So you build a quantum AI master system that's going to rule the world. None of that has any effect on me unless I choose for it to be. And I'll take the harder path, that narrow gate with God. Even if that means I'm outside of the main system, I'll figure out a way to survive it because I don't want to play in that system. And the reason I, I say that is because here's where we have a very challenging moment for, for society. And this is what I see coming at us more like a tsunami is that our churches have become deeply bankrupted in reputation and in many in action. People need to find a relationship with Jesus. And if they turn to the church and they don't get what they need, which is a high probability in this day, they're going to walk away and go where? They're going to go where that feel-good factor is. And that feel-good factor is going to be the allure of a magnetic personality that offers them great hope and opportunity to make a lot of money in a new rebuilt America, make America great again, or some other part of the world. And in the process, as a nation, we steer away from Jesus, and individually, people walk away from Jesus. And really, that's where we fit in. We fit in in this moment in such a profound way that we have to literally go there and meet these people before they're pulled off the path. And I think that is so, so important. If we forget it, we've kind of forgot our way. I played this piece last night, and I want to play it again because it's very relevant to this conversation, just to remember our role and our duty as Christians. The founder of a Satanist church in South Africa abruptly ditched the church. He says he found Jesus. A radio station had him on. So this Christian lady who worked at the radio station pulled him aside afterwards. And after the interview, this lady came to me and she hugged me and she held me in a way that I've never been loved. I saw this woman is a Christian. I've never had, I've never experienced a Christian showing that much love and acceptance unconditionally. After that interview, I had a meeting with council members at that at the church and it's growing, Satanism is growing and believe me people it is. And I had to do a ritual by myself to see how do I get more power, more influence. And I did this ritual and I opened myself up and Jesus appeared and I was extremely cocky and I said, if you are Jesus, you need to prove it. And he flooded me with the most beautiful love and energy. And I recognized it immediately because that woman at the radio station showed it to me. That's how I recognized the love of Christ. Even when I was in Christian ministry almost 20 years ago, I never knew it until a month or two ago. 
the love of Christ is unconditional. I have for a long time believed that I am not worthy of God's grace. Let me tell you something today. The kingdom of God is not a gated community. It's my prayer that you will feel the love. I, I pray that the peace of, of Christ will be with you. I love that so much. And I think that, you know, a lot of people who call themselves Christian need to be more like that lady. Because someone is satanic, you don't turn on them and hate them. You love them like she did. I agree. And I think a lot of the people out here are conditioned to feel unworthy. And, and you know, the thing is when I say that, and I don't know what your reaction is, I always pay attention to my own thoughts when I say something. And I like to see, as I'm speaking, I like to kind of hear what that, my alter ego throws in the way. My alter brain, the devious one. And it's interesting when I said that, the first thing that the other side is saying is, screw Antifa. And it's funny because as I, the thing about Antifa, many of those young kids are from broken homes, are lost and have felt unworthy, and they were brought into an organization that gave them purpose and meaning. There's a story of two young kids. They were, and they, they were probably in their 20s, and they were playing outside of Powell's Book Center one day. Man, they had a great sound. And I'll see if I can resurrect their music. I may have it. It may be on the laptop that crashed, so I don't know that I have it anymore, which is unfortunate. But they were, they called themselves Shoot Dang, which I'm pretty sure came from their drug past. And they were both suffering from addiction to, to meth. But I had an opportunity to meet with them. And I, I love their sound. I was looking for music at that time for a documentary I was working on. And I love finding raw talent. And this was one of them. And there it was very um, Appalachian sounding. Really, really good sound for what I was looking for. And just two kids on the street corner. And they were earning some money, which probably was I, I got to know them a little bit. And, and so I took them out to coffee. And we went just across the street and down the way to this really cool coffee shop in Portland where not only do they roast and grind, but they refuse to, you can't buy their coffee outside of Portland. Like you can't order it because they're so, <laughs> there's such coffee crazies like me that they, all their coffee is delivered by bike because they don't want to disturb the bean. I, I, I know it's a little freaky, but little wild, but it's, it's kind of the coffee culture of extreme. And I always respected it because they're just great people. But they had a bike courier system that they would deliver all their coffee around town on bikes with little trailers. I guess you call that a low-carbon footprint. But anyway, um, we got into the place, and I asked them what they wanted to have. They had never been in a coffee shop. They could never have afforded to go in a coffee shop. And they didn't know what to order because it was to them it was expensive. And again, it was five dollars for a for a latte or something, three and a half for a cup of coffee, and and they didn't know what to do. And it's like 
you know, do we need to share one? Or I'm like, you can buy whatever you want. I'm just buying it. And I wanted to get him something to eat. So ended up getting him a big cinnamon roll. And, and again, they didn't really know how to react because that cinnamon roll was like 6 or $7, which is normal coffee sh- stuff costs. But it's a real eye-opener when you meet folks like this that have spent their life on the road. From a young age, they were kicked out of their homes. They, had, they both came from broken families. They're divorced, abused, probably molested, and parents were addicts themselves. So they migrated with other kids, and, and they ended up traveling around on trains. They were the modern-day hobos. And as I learned this, there was a whole culture with them that I, my eyes were opened up to, which is a kind of subterranean culture, if you will. Not literally, but from our optic, because we just don't see them. They hang out at nights. They, they'll tuck away during the day. There's a lot of drug use. They travel literally by train like hobos. But the stories at their age that they could tell of showed me some pictures that they had with them which is kind of common if you've met some folks like this because traveling, they try to give themselves something, again, that has meaning, that gives them anchor. But their life is constantly on the go. They have no footing. And they seek that companionship and that love, which comes ultimately, unfortunately, in two forms, which to me is completely Satan's hand. One is a collection of people of like experience, and two is the, the escapism through drugs. And we didn't have time in that period, and I wasn't in the place in that period to bring them to Jesus. That wasn't where I was in my life at that point. Today would be a different conversation. But I I reflect back on this because one of the stories they had told me was like one of their friends that had fallen off the train and lost both his legs because he fell under the train and the train rolled over him. And when you're looking at people of this age and they've had those sorts of traumatic experiences and you start to have an empathy for why they are where they are. Portland had a, when I was in Portland, I was there for quite a number of years. It wasn't the pit that it is today. It was getting there, but it was not nearly what it was today as it is today. And there was a place which is over off of Burnside, which is near downtown, or near the, I should say, near the brewery district. And if you know Portland, that would mean something to you. Otherwise, it's just me throwing out names. But it's, it was a welfare center just for children, just for teens. And I could not believe the number of teens that were there hanging out that had no home. That's the part that was just stunning to me. And I also find it not unironic that as you go down that same street, you go down Burnside and you go down roughly five blocks from that point down Burnside towards the Willamette River, you bump into a place called Dante's, which was a rock and roll place where a lot of them hung out at night. 
and where there was soft porn strippers there every night. Now, strip, they're not full strippers or partial strippers, but that guy that owns that place owned a bunch of the strip clubs around, which is just part of the, this is when you, as you, I'm taking on a little bit of a mental journey here because this is how it happens. You have these homeless kids that are already accustomed to having to survive on the street, come together, scrape together whatever they can. They end up migrating to a place like Dante's. A few of them will get the opportunity to be strippers, obviously females, at least most. They'll then be trafficked to different strip clubs around the, the, the city and now they're into the system. And the same guy that owns Dante's, or did, was the number one cocaine dealer for all of Portland. So you can see the connections of the tendrils. This, this is how the trap is set. So on the outside, what we see in Portland is a mess. We see riots. We see Antifa burning stuff down. But these kids don't know any different. They've never had an adult bringing up or upbringing, and my guess is many of them have been MK Ultra anyway by some serious pros. And they're given a purpose, and here it comes, because this is the antithesis of Jesus. They're given the purpose in life, which is to hate. You have to hate that which made you what you are. You are so much better than you are, but it's this system that did it to you. You must hate that system. You must burn that system down. They don't know love. What they know is companionship. They know that the people that are around them took them in. The people that are there gave them food and shelter and gave them drugs to feel better. That may seem bizarre to you, but that is the, that's the replacement when you tear the family apart. And the model is, you can replicate that model anywhere in the world. It's pretty close. And it's a tragic statement in our culture today. I do not believe this sort of, I'm just going to call it Q garbage. Because I don't, and I'm, this is unrelated, kind of the Q nut garbage of like, there's going to be this sudden EBS system and we're going to get these videos and we're all going to awaken and we're all going to come together and be happy again because we're going to understand the real threat and then we're going to make the world great again. And the military is going to do airlifts in and we're going to get med beds and we're going to get all this. I mean, it just, it just goes on the nutbaggery of this stuff. Humanity doesn't change or fix itself that quickly. And the scars don't go away that quickly. I could give somebody the perfect medicine if I had it, the perfect healing to heal a wound, and you're not going to take away the wound of the heart. You and I can't do that, but Jesus can. And I think this is where, again, where my feeling is, is where our role is just beginning to emerge. Never will so much be asked by so of so few by so many. That profound statement by the Irish Prime Minister when he met right after he met with Trump in 2018, I believe. Profound statement. Because that group of people, ultimately, I believe, is all of us that are seeking and walking more intimately with Christ. Our mission is just beginning. 
And while we have held fast, we've done a lot of work to try to wake people up. We've done everything we can to fight for fairness in schools. And everybody's done different types of fights. We've been digging in hard to build our independence and our sovereignty through sowing seeds to take accountability in our lives. These are not as much missions as they are training foundations. Because as we... As we have become stronger in our foundations, we're now able to go into the world and have a stronger armor than we would have before. The way that we fix this nation, in my opinion, is that we have to get to those that are most damaged or at least have not experienced the love of Christ. Our youth is a future, and this is a nation that does not value its youth. It does not cherish its youth. It casts them out like we cast out our elderly, and we don't care. And parents are deeply guilty of this because they're casting their own children into the pits of hell every time they send them to public schools. And, I will, and that right now, there's, that is a blanket universal statement to any parent that has their children in public schools you're putting them at risk to being indoctrinated into a Luciferian framework. And that's on you, not on the child. As people, we have to get stronger in our relationship with Jesus and our trust in God. And we have to start accepting the missions that are put on our heart, even if they're hard. And they're, I believe they're going to start coming. I believe... That's not being prophetic. It just is as things are lining up. It's, it makes the only knowledgeable or logical sense that we need to start getting these ministries out into the hard places to reach, meeting with the tax collectors and the prostitutes in metaphor. And we need to have the conversations with the maturity, not to be walking in and throwing the Bible in their face, but a maturity to hear and listen first. And then to be able to walk through comfort. That story I just played, which I find to be really amazing with the Satanist. He was transformed by a hug because somebody read through him because God gave her eyes to see, to see what he had never experienced, which was the deep and intimate love of Jesus. And that part is where our greatest victory is for God. It's not easy. You know, it's not easy when you're, you have family members that have walked away because they're telling you you're crazy because of the shot. Well, we tried as people continue to drop dead all over the world. And it's going to be even harder for those same family members or friends to have to admit that they were wrong There comes a point that that isn't, shouldn't be our requirement. And I think a lot of us would like to see that happen. We'd like to see a justice where you need to admit what you did and own it. I can tell you how that does happen, though, and I think we all know that answer. Accept Jesus in your heart, and you will see it. You will accept the responsibility, and you will come to him humbled. But I don't need it. My ego might tell me I need it, but I don't need it. And God's not asking for it. 
and then we're not going to seek it. I don't think we should seek it. I think our role is much greater than that. So, very powerful time. And when I, I spend a lot of time lately, this, this week in particular, spent a lot of time reflecting Acts 17, 24 to 28. The God who made the world and everything that is in it, since he is Lord of heaven of earth, heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might feel around for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his descendants. We're part of God, and I think that's a part that sometimes we forget. We feel ourselves, but if we can reclaim that connection that we're all part of God, we build a very great stability and an amazing equity of love in the world. These are just thoughts on a Friday night. Reflections on an interesting week. A powerful week. And one in which I think there's a lot of richness in all of who we are. I would encourage you had an opportunity to sit down with youth. It's a great experience. You can find them. And I don't mean the ones that want to sit with you, but the ones that are apprehensive, the ones that don't know Jesus. And I think it's important to listen to how they see the world. Because, you know, planting seeds, I was thinking about this earlier today when I was working in the garden. I guess that was yesterday when I was having this conversation with God is that we get a handful of seeds and as we plant them, we really don't know what we're going to get. We think we do. We have an idea of what the plant's going to be like, but until the plant is up and grown, we really don't see it. And then, of course, what we end up doing is as we go through our gardening, we try to pick the best plants to get the ones that we'll get the seeds from so that they'll bring on the best crop. But really, in the whole sense of sowing seeds, every seed that God sows is perfect. And so I bring this up because one of the things I try to do is when I'm doing my starter of my plants, I have a hard time not planting everything because I want every one of those to have a chance to prosper because even the ones that may seem like they're not going to make it, if you give them enough care, sometimes they can be the best producers out there. Probably a good thing to remember when we're dealing with each other. We're in a very confusing time in this nation, very divisive, but also very introspective at this point, I think. People are beginning to 
open their eyes a bit to realize this is not what they thought it was. This was not the train ride they checked in on. And in so doing, that introspection is going to open up opportunities to meet Jesus. And I think that's where we have a tremendous hand to play. And it might just be God's biggest trump card in this entire game, no pun intended, his biggest play yet against the devil. Let's pray. Father, we come to you very humbled tonight, just reflecting on really some of the spiritual carnage that has happened across this nation and the damage that's happened with people never having the opportunity to have a true and intimate relationship with you through your through Jesus. So, Father, we, we just pray for that opportunity that people can have that. And while it's there, we know it's there because we know that you are very close to us. Sometimes it's difficult for people to see what's most in front of them. Scars and wounds and perceptions and mind-bending propaganda can blind us even to what's right before us. And with that too often goes common sense and simplicity. I pray tonight, Father, just for the many to have hearts opened. And with that, that we can see the plotters revealed, we can see the plot exposed, and we can now have time for people to set back and break connections with this bubble world that we're in. And in breaking the connection, have the opportunity for us who are ready to step in and just extend a conversational hand, to extend an listening ear. And hopefully in that process, have enough of an experience that the door opens just a crack for Jesus to enter. That's part of where I think you have us here, Father, and I hope so. So we pray for that opportunity to heal, to raise up, to heal the wounds, and to bring as many as possible to the love and fantastic experience of walking with Jesus. Say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Patriots, hope you have a very blessed Friday night. There's a lot to reflect on here in these days. And, and take some time this weekend. Spend some time just with a conversation with God. Cut the grass. Work in the garden. Take your Jeep out for a ride. I think I'm doing all three. <laughs> it's probably my list, not yours, but that's okay. Go out and do some shooting on the property. Oops, that was on my list too. I don't know if there's much on my list there for you, but whatever you want to do, sounds good. All right, Patriots, have a very blessed night. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never battle evil, never relent. Always press into the fight. Keep your prayers up for a nation of healing. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We're at war. 
So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Keep the mission forward. I'll see you tomorrow evening for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. All this time we had to prove That we could stand here too All the nights been pushing through Fight for all we had to lose Reaching out for something To pull us up to level ground Oh, I can see it now I can see it now
tides out on the freeway let it ease my mind we run away sometimes when belonging becomes something to find we always come back to what we know keep it close on the cold days darling counting all the ways Where you are a safe place to hide from the rain